you want to grab your Bibles, we're going to be in um, Revelation chapter 22 tonight. We got to just, um, I think, just read the first verse of it last week pretty much, and so we'll get back into it tonight and see, um, see what we can learn from it. Coming to an end of Revelation, so um, we are very close to finishing up this book. And I hope that you've got, uh, I hope you've got something out of it. I hope you've enjoyed going through it, and maybe the Lord has taught you something in it. My prayer. We're going to read um, probably let's read the first. Uh, let's just read the first five verses to start off with, and then if we go further than that, we'll read them as we go. But in Revelation chapter 22, we will begin in verse 1. Give you just a minute to get there. It says, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life. It was bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, through the middle of the street of the city. Also, on either side of the river, the tree of life with its twelve kinds of fruit. It yields its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and His servants will worship Him. They will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light of the lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. We are basically looking at what I called a few weeks ago the reward of the bride. And if you remember, um, earlier we focused on the, the judgment of the prostitute. And so we're looking here at the, the opposite of what we were studying there. So the, the prostitute was adorned in jewels and... Um, she was all about the, the wealth and the riches of this world and the sins of this world. And as a result of that, she was judged in a moment is what it said. And all of that that she put her hope and her trust in, it was done away with. Judgment washed it away. It destroyed it forever. And then when we get into Revelation chapter 21, we start to see the reward of the bride. And basically the reward of the bride is not a city that's being judged, not a wealth that's being done away with, not jewels and being adorned with jewels that, that are destroyed in a moment's notice, but instead we get a lasting city, an eternal city. We get a, a place adorned with jewels that the glory of God shines through like you've never seen before. We get a place to where there is no more curse and there is no more night in this place. There is no uh, nothing immoral or there is no sin. There's no tears. There's no sorrow. There's no sickness. It is a place that where all the curse of the world is gone. And you remember at the beginning of chapter 1 that basically He showed us the outside of the city. He showed us that um, uh, this is what the walls look like and this is what the foundations look like and this is what... Uh, the streets look like. And then we move into the interior of the city and we begin to see the, the people of the city. And we begin to see that really what the best reward of heaven is is not the gold and the streets of gold. It's not the, um, the huge walls and the open gates and it's, it's, not, the, um, the, it's not necessarily the, the created things that He makes new again. But the true reward is the fact that God is dwelling with us. That we get to experience Him fully, unhindered, unadulterated. We get the fullness of His glory in full view, which we're going to see here in a few verses that we read in a moment. Uh, we get to experience the, um, uh, the fullness of His power in new creation because all of creation was created to display His glory, right? And so ultimately, we get a new heaven and a new earth that displays glory, not in a cursed way, because yes, even now we get to look at the ocean and the mountains and the Grand Canyon and our children and our grandchildren, and we get to see displays of the glory of God, but it's cursed. They're all cursed images of it. And so in this day and time, we get to experience God in such a way that there is 
no curse whatsoever, and we get to experience His glory on display in all of the new creation in such a way that we can't imagine what joy this is going to be like. And so that's a little bit of what of how we get to this point right here. Um, in chapter 22, verse 1, basically we're still seeing an interior view, if you will, of this new Jerusalem, this um, city that God dwells in, and this city where all the people of God dwell with Him. And so now we move in and He describes this city just a little bit more. So really, the first five verses, I think, of chapter 22 really are personally connected with chapter 21. You really ought to read them as a single unit. You shouldn't just stop at chapter 22 and think we're starting a new thought or we're moving on to a a new subject or something different. You ought to keep it all together. And so he's still describing this city, this reward that we're going to receive as the bride of Christ. And the first thing that he brings out of it, he says, the angel showed me the river of the water of life. And so we see this this pure river, this water of, he describes it as a water of life. And he says it is bright as crystal, or some versions say it is clear as crystal. And then I want you to notice that this, where does this river come from? So the source of this river. And so John's focus here is on this river that comes out. Now, again, I've told you so many times in this study that one of the troubles with um, interpreting apocalyptic literature is what do we actually take literal and what do we take symbolically? And so for the most part, I think you have seen that we believe that unless the Bible gives us reason to interpret something symbolically, unless it gives, like for instance, in some places it would say, and I saw a sign in heaven, a great dragon or a woman riding on a scarlet beast. And so we know that in those scenarios that we are right to interpret that symbolically, correct? But unless the Bible gives us reason to interpret something symbolically, we believe that it should be taken literally. Now, in this right here, for me personally, I struggle with it. And the reason I struggle with it is because On the one hand, I do know that it gives me no reason here specifically to interpret it symbolically. So literally, we would say that there is in the New Jerusalem a river that flows from the throne of God. This is the source of it. And it flows from the throne of God. And then as it goes down, there is a tree of life in its path, as some translations say. And then on either side of the river, the tree of life flows over and it bears its fruit for 12 months. And so we'll get into those here in a minute. However, I also know that there are many scriptures in the Bible that use water as a depiction of new life, right? A depiction of of new beginnings, of being born again, if you will, of new creation. Uh, Like, for instance, if you were to look at um, Isaiah chapter 48, verse 18. Isaiah 48, verse 18. Oh, that you had paid attention to my commandments. Then your peace would have been like a river, and your righteousness like the waves of the sea. And so we see that's just one of many verses. We'll look at a few more to, to make my point. But you see how the Bible uses the, the, uh, the river here as a way to describe the peace that flows from keeping God's commandments and being right with God by... Um, being obedient to Him. And then go with me to um, Zechariah, close to the last book of the Old Testament, right before the last book of the Old Testament. Zechariah chapter 14 and verse 8. 
And here we're talking about the day of the Lord. And he says, On that day living waters shall flow out from Jerusalem, half of them to the eastern sea and half of them to the western sea. It shall continue in summer as in winter, and the Lord will be king over all the earth. On that day the Lord will be one, and His name will be one. But the point that I'm seeing there is that, again, whenever he references water here, he says, living water shall flow out of Jerusalem. And in this context, we know that he was talking about spiritual uh, birth. He was talking about the same thing that Jesus told the woman at the well. He said, if you drink of this water, what's going to happen to you? You're going to thirst again. But everyone who drinks of the water that I have to give, it will become a, a well of water within them and spring up and overflow with water. So in that context, when he was talking about rivers of living water coming from you, what was he talking about? Talking about the Holy Spirit. He was talking about the Spirit birth. And, um, and when the Holy Spirit comes into your life, that rivers of living water come from you. And so, again, uh, there are many verses. You could also, just for sake of context, go with me now to Ezekiel chapter 47. Ezekiel is another place that um, uses some of this same terminology. And it's going to sound very familiar to you when you look at it. Ezekiel chapter 47. And now this is talking about the millennial kingdom and um, talking about the water that's going to flow out of the millennial kingdom during this time. But look at what he says right here. So Ezekiel says, Then he brought me back to the door of the temple, and behold, Water was issuing from below the threshold of the temple toward the east, for the temple faced east. The water was flowing down from below the south end of the threshold of the temple, south of the altar. Then he brought me out by the way of the north gate and led me around on the outside to the outer gates that faces toward the east. And behold, the water was trickling on the south side. It was going on eastern with a measuring line in his hand, and the man measured a thousand cubits, and he led me through the water, and it was ankle deep. Again he measured a thousand cubits and led me through the water, and it was knee deep. Again he measured a thousand and led me through the water, and it was waist deep. Again he measured a thousand, and it was a river that I could not pass through, for the water had risen. It was deep enough to swim in, a river that could not be passed through. And he said to me, Son of man, have you seen this? Then he led me back to the bank of the river. And as I went back, I saw on the bank of the river very many trees on one side and on the other. And he said to me, This water flows toward the eastern region and goes down into Arabah, and it enters the sea. And when the water flows into the sea, the water will become fresh. And here is a picture of the Dead Sea, which had no fresh water in it, but now when this river that flowed from the temple out into the threshold, which we know is likely coming from the throne of God, sort of the same image here. The only difference is in Revelation, is there a temple? You remember last week? There is no temple in this place, right? But the throne of God is there. And so that's the only difference in this. And now go with me to verse 9. And wherever the river goes, every living creature that swarms will live. And there will be very many fish. For this water goes there, that the waters of the sea may become fresh. So everything will live where the river goes. So here we have the river of life, right? Here's, I could stop right there because I don't want to uh, belabor this one particular point. But here's the thing that I'm trying to get to. There are many scriptures that give us spiritual references to how the presence of God and the presence that flows from God and the life that flows from God brings new life. And so it is possible that this is meant to be interpreted symbolically and it is talking about the life giving that comes from God. It is also very possible and very likely that this is meant to be interpreted literally. The reason I say that is because you remember the Garden of Eden. In the Garden of Eden, there was a river that flowed through the Garden of Eden. And there was the Tree of Life. And so we have 
basically in Genesis where paradise is lost. And then we have in Revelation 22, so at the beginning of the book, paradise is lost. At the beginning of, at the end of the book, paradise is regained. And here we are back in a perfect state, in an eternal state, in a place to where we get to eat freely from the tree of life and we get to drink freely and, and, and wade in and swim in the, the, the river of life. So I'm saying all that to let you know. I don't really know for certain if we are supposed to interpret this literally or symbolically, but I believe no matter which way you interpret it, the lesson in it is still the same. There is going to be nothing but life that flows from the throne of God in this eternal state. There will be no curse, there will be no death, there will be no sickness, there will be none of the former things, for the former things have all passed away, and behold, He has made all things new. And so now we get to enjoy in this new city nothing except eternal life. And so I believe that is the point that he wants to make in this. And so he says, The angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. And then I want you to notice in verse 2. It says, Through the middle of the street of the city. Now this is where it flows. So you remember, you got the street of the city, which was clear as crystal. It was clear, it was gold, but it was clear as crystal. And then in the middle of this street, you have this river apparently that flows through the middle of it, if we're meant to take it literally here. And he says here, also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit yielding its fruit each month. Now I think the picture that we should get here is that again, in the middle of this river, there seems to be a tree that is, not seems to be, there is a tree that is growing out of this river. And then it extends and all of its branches hang over on each side of the river so that it is easily accessible to anybody that, that wants to, to eat freely from it. And then notice what he says next. He says, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. And so you remember in the early part of the Bible in Genesis, when before paradise was lost, what did God tell them about the trees and what they could do with them? You can eat from all of the trees of the garden. That included the tree of life, right? Now, I may be wrong in this. Again, these are things that we won't know fully until we get there, okay? So I'm, I'm just giving you my two cents on it. I believe what we've got happening here is this. In Genesis, I believe Adam and Eve got to eat freely from this tree of life. I don't believe it's a one-time eating and then that's where I believe more than likely in the beginning Adam and Eve were free to eat from this tree of life. However, they were not free to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And that tells us that they had to depend on God for their every direction in life. God would tell them, do this, don't do this. He led them so that they were always in the right. They didn't have the knowledge of right and wrong. They just looked to Him and trusted Him. They walked with Him, alright? But the moment that they ate of the knowledge of good and evil, they turned in rebellion against God and they said, God, we don't need you to tell us right from wrong, good and evil anymore. We have that knowledge for ourselves now, right? And as a result of that, they chose wrongly. They chose sin. At that moment, God said, I'm not going to let you eat from this tree of life any longer lest you stay in this state eternally. Alright? And so you know the old story. God takes Adam and Eve and He puts them out of the garden and He puts angels at the gate of the garden with flaming sores so that no one can get back in there. At this point in Revelation, I believe what we see here is again, all of that curse is now paid for. It's done away with. There is no longer any need 
to withhold people from eating from the tree of life because everyone that is now in this kingdom, they are no longer corrupted by sin, nor will there be any possibility of sin ever entering into this place again, correct? So as a result of that, the tree of life is now open and it is free to all the inhabitants of this place to continually eat from this thing from which I believe comes the source of life. Because remember, the river, the tree grows out of the river and the river flew from what source? Where did the river originate from? The throne of God and the Lamb. And so from God came this source of life in the form of water, in the form of a river. Out of that river we have a tree that grows in some way. And then I've heard, I've heard commentators, and, and they could be right and I could be wrong. I'm not saying that, that it's not the opposite. But I've heard them say, well, this couldn't have been in the water because trees have to grow in soil. Let me ask you a question. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. He, that, thank you. He made water come out of a rock. That's exactly right. He can, make, he can do whatever He wants to do with this new creation. And so I, I truly believe that what you have here is a picture of this tree that we get to continually eat from. And as a result of this, it's not that we are ever going to die, but that we are continually nourished and continually given life after life after life as a result of eating from this tree. Now, why do I say that? Look at what he says next in um, verse 2. Uh, start Read the whole verse again. He says, Through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life, with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. So one of the things that that tells me about this this place that we're going to get to enjoy for eternity is that we are likely still going to be eating and drinking. We are still going to be enjoying some of the same things we enjoy right now. And let's just face it, for 90% of the people in the world, our greatest enjoyment is, is food or um, intimacy through marital bonds. And so you, I'm not going to come out and say it, but you know what I'm talking about. So the majority of our joys come from those things right there. And so here we get to continue that in a way that it yields variety for us because notice it says it's 12 kinds of fruit. And so it's a different kind of fruit each month that this tree, that this tree yields. And then I want you to be able to notice in some scriptures, like for instance in um, Luke chapter 24. Go with me there for just a minute. And what we're looking at here is Jesus in His new body. And you might remember that the Bible tells us that when we see Him, that we're going to be like He is. And so we get, we get just a little bit of a glimpse of the kind of body that we're going to have in this new heaven and this new earth by looking at the body that Jesus had when He was resurrected. And so in Luke chapter 24, beginning in verse 41, I want you to notice what we see here. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, He said to them, Have you anything here to eat? And they gave Him a piece of broiled fish, and He took it and ate before them. And so one of the things that you see in that right there is that Jesus in His glorified body enjoyed food. And so I truly believe that we are going to have bodies that are going to be able to enjoy perfect food. In a compa- We're going to be able to have a capacity for enjoyment like we have never had before. You know, there is not much that I like better than to sit down to a medium ribeye with a little fat on the edges that has been charbroiled and it's got just a little that broil flavor to it. What's that? <laughs> there is not much else in life that, that I enjoy as much as just a good meal, steak, whatever it may be. And uh, 
Some of y'all can agree with me. You know what I'm talking about. Yours may not be steak. Maybe yours is a, a fried salmon or something. I don't know. I don't know what it may be. But still, the fact of the matter is, is that even at this moment, we only have a certain amount of capacity to enjoy that. Our, our taste buds and our, our stomachs can only hold so much. And, our, and so we, we, we reach a capacity that we can only enjoy it so much. I truly believe in this day and time that we're going to get to eat from a tree that's fruit has a enjoyment like nothing you've ever experienced before in your life. And then it goes even further than just nourishment for your body. It gives life. It gives life as you eat from it. Uh, as you drink from this water or swim in this water or wade in this water as we saw in Ezekiel and it becomes so deep it just covers you that that we're going to be given a capacity to enjoy these things in such a way that we, they can't even be described here. But then also look with me at John chapter 21. Just to show you a few other things about, about this same subject. John 21, the Gospel of John, starting in verse 12. Actually, let's start in verse 10. Or verse 9. I'm going to back it up one more. Verse 9. Notice he says here in verse 9, when they got out on the land. Now remember, Jesus has already been raised from the dead, but the disciples went back to fishing. All right? And so when the disciples got out on the land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and with bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. And Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. No, now none of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. So that's another thing about this body that we see. They knew it was him. But apparently it didn't look like him because they didn't ask who he was. They just knew that it was him. So there's something different about this body that, that you know who somebody is, but not necessarily because they look the way that they used to look to you when you knew them, uh, but, you, but they knew him. And then verse 13, Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and so with the fish. And so again, here we are, Jesus in his new body, and here he is eating and, and drinking with them once again. And then you might also remember that when the angels came down and they would meet with like Abraham and Sarah, Abraham and Sarah would cook for them and would prepare a meal and the angels would come in and they would sit down and they would eat food with them. You might also remember that the Bible talks about on the day that we uh, that He comes back to receive us unto Himself, we celebrate the marriage supper of the Lamb, that we go to sit before a feast. And so I believe that this is just another example in 22 that in chapter 22, that in this new Jerusalem, in this new city, that we are going to get to enjoy food in such a way that it is life-giving and everything that we eat from it and we are going to enjoy it at a capacity that we have never been able to enjoy it before, and there will be variety of it that every month it yields a different variety of fruit. And then in the last part of verse 2, it says, the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And so there are some people that may ask the question, well, if there is no more curse, then why do the nations need healing? And that is a very good question, a very legitimate question. And I think that this is where you need to go back and study the original Greek and understand that probably a, I ain't going to say better, but um, maybe a translation that would be better for us to understand would be the fact that it comes from the word in which we get the word therapeutic. And so if you go back and you open up your Strong's Concordance and you find this word, it will actually say the leaves of the tree were for the, were for the therapeutic of the nations. And so what does something mean when it is therapeutic? It's, 
it's good for you. So again, I think that what we're seeing here is just another picture of the fact that this tree that we get to eat freely from, in all of its capacity, whether you're eating from the fruit or whether you take the leaves or whatever it is that you are able to do with it, it brings life to you. And it does that because its source is the life giver. Now, I could be missing that, and I could be off on that to some degree, but I think that is the gist of it. Does anybody have anything? Yeah. I got you. That's right, a general group of people. That's right. It doesn't necessarily mean a nation like we understand it today. When it says nations, it's talking about people groups, the people groups that are there. And so um, that's correct. That's exactly right. Sometimes that same word in the Bible is translated Gentiles. Uh, but it still refers to a people group is what it refers to. All right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, you think about it. Yeah. That's right. And there are some there are some scriptures that would definitely back that up. Like for instance, when Jesus told the the guys that used uh, the gifts that he gave them rightly, he said, you've been faithful over this, I'll be a ruler over ten cities, you know. And so there are definitely some, uh, some scriptures that would support that. Again, the fact of it is we're, there's a lot of this that we're unsure of how it's going to play out, but I think that what we can get from it is that we are going to experience life in a way that we have never experienced it. We're going to experience joy in a way that, as you said, continually increases more and more. At the, the longer we are there, the better it gets. Whereas, the truth of the matter is, here in this world, it tends to be just the opposite. The longer you're here in this world, the worse things get. The longer you're here, the more friends you watch go to the grave before you. The longer you're here, the worse your health declines whereas just the opposite over here. And you know, we were talking about paradise before it was lost and paradise here regained, and that's the same thing that you saw in the Garden of Eden, is that you saw that we got to, or Adam and Eve got to fellowship with God in such a way they walked with Him in the cool of the day. They ate from every tree that He gave to them. They were supposed to have dominion over all of His creation, right? And so would it, not be likely that in paradise regained, mankind again has gained dominion back over all of God's creation as you were just talking about. And so yes, I, I, I think there are scriptures to definitely support what you're saying in that. Alright? What's your crazy question? <laughs> well... You know, that is a good question. Here's, I don't know. Here, here's the thing. Right. I think, what's that? The gates are open. That's right. The gates are open day or night. And I, I, I can't answer that question. There's a lot of this that I just don't know the answer to. That's the truth of it. But, you know, I can't help but think to myself that this helps distinguish a particular dwelling place from all the rest of the new heaven and the new earth. Because that's the way 21 started. 21 started with, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. 
And then I saw a new Jerusalem, a place that was particular, that was, it was, um, it was set apart from all the rest of it. Why was it set apart? Because this is where men and God dwelt together. This is where the fullness of the glory of God was experienced face to face. Uh, this is where the river of life is and flows from the throne of God. This is where and why there is no need for the sun or the moon. And so as far as to answer the question of why the walls, I don't know because it's very plain that it says nothing will ever enter into it that will hurt or harm or is immoral in any, any way. The gates are always open. But again, I think that what it does is it distinguishes the fact that this is a special place. I think it distinguishes the fact that this is the place that Jesus promised when He said, I have gone to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place, I will come again to receive you unto Myself, so that where I am, there you may also be with Me. And then He says, In My Father's house are many rooms. Many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. And so basically I think that this is the place that fulfills what Jesus promised that He had gone to do. And so that's, that's the only explanation that I know personally to give. For... Alright? Yeah? Nathan, come on. You, if Bobby ever speaks, you, you know, just go on and get ready to write it off. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. All right, what's your question? Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Well, and you know, again, to answer your question, I'm not sure. I just know that um, either in the millennial kingdom or or carrying on into the eternal state, the the Bible does give scripture to support that we are going to rule with Him in some capacity. Now we know that we do that in the millennial kingdom because He teaches us that we sit on thrones with Him judging the nations. And so I do believe that, um, that we definitely will be, and the Bible talks about us being kings and priests, but the Bible also said in 21 that the kings bring their glory into this place and they give their glory to God. And so, you know, again, there's a lot that we don't know exactly how all this is going to play out. But I think the point that John is trying to drive home is how great this reward is that we can't even describe other than with human terms. Like we don't even know. John, um, John says he showed me the river of the water of life bright as crystal. So I'm not saying it's actually a crystal river. It's just bright as crystal flowing from the throne of God. So he sees the source where it comes from. He, he says it looks like a river. Um, but the fact of the matter is, he, he may have been seeing something symbolically too. You know, again, we, we don't know for certain. But the point being, whether you interpret it symbolically or literally, this is a life-giving thing that we get to enjoy that, that the enjoyment of it just increases day after day after day. And that's another thing. There is some concept of time in heaven. Now, we know there's no day and there's no night. But look at what he said right there in verse 2. He said, Through the middle of the street on the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit, what? Each month. So there is some concept of time. We know that it is eternity, but there is some concept of time according to that, unless again I'm misinterpreting it. There is some concept of time in heaven that we don't know how that's going to be, but there apparently are still going to be 12 months. 
Um, and how that's going to look, what that's going to play out, I, I don't know. Is it going to be spring uh, year-round? Is it going? I mean, you know, I, I don't know. But I do know that it is perfect, however it is. And then in verse uh, 3, No longer will there be anything accursed. So again, here's the point. Because we have the throne of God that dwells with men, because we have the throne of the Lamb that has paid for all of man's sins and has redeemed us and made us new, because we have a river of life that flows from the throne, because we have a tree of life that yields its fruit for 12 months and we get to continually eat from it, because of those things, notice what he says next, no longer will there be anything accursed. Why? Keep reading. Why? Because the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it. So because the source of life, the source of all blessing, the source of all redemption, the source of all power, the source of all creation, because He and the Son and the Holy Spirit are in the midst of this city, no longer will there be anything accursed. That is a summary description. He's laid out some details for you, but then he just comes down to a summary and he says, if I can tell you what it's going to be like in summary, this is what it will be like. Because he's described the outside of the city, the inside of the city, the people of the city, the kings of the city, and what they do, the river of the city. And then he comes down and he says, but let me tell you what it's really like. Nothing accursed will ever be there again. But the throne of God will always be there and the throne of the Lamb will always be there, which I believe is the same throne. And then it says here, and not only will it be what will the throne of God and the Lamb be in it, but His servants will worship Him. And this is not going to be some worship service like we see it today. Like for instance, today we come in here and we have to kind of, we have to hear some kind of truth to be able to really feel the weight of what it means to worship Him. And many of us just come in and we just sing the songs because that's what we do. Many of us just come in and we just sit there and I was, I was counseling a guy tonight before I came here. That's the reason I was late and I was talking to him. And I was asking him about where he went to church and everything, and he told me it's where I go to church. And um, I said, well, let me ask you a question. I said, do you just go to church? I said, or do you go to church to actively become more like Christ and less like you? Do you go to church with the intention? Because he told me, he said, well, here's the reason why I go to this church. He said, I really like an upbeat. And he said, I really like to, he said, I like a church that'll keep me awake. And, um, and, and I said, okay. I said, I get that. I said, but let me ask you a question. He, and he said this. He said, because when I used to go to this church, he said, I was in there five minutes and I'm snoring. And, um, and I said, okay. I said, I, you know, maybe, maybe it just wasn't, they wasn't growing green grass. I don't know. I said, but let me ask you this. I said, do you go to church just to go to church just because that's what you think you need to do? Or do you go to church for the purpose of I want to hear some truth that leads me into worship. I want to hear some truth that I can apply to my life and that I can become more like Christ and less like myself so that I can change into this new creation. And he looked at me and said, I just go to church. <laughs> and I said, well, that's true for a lot of people. And I said, I want to tell you that one of the ways that you're going to help yourself in these situations that we're talking about, these problems that you're having, is if you quit just going to church and you start going for the purpose of worshiping who God is. You're going for the purpose of hearing the truth. Here in this context, we're not just got people that are... A lot of people, I used to think to myself, man, heaven's going to be boring if all we ever do is sit in the choir and just sing songs. That's what my thinking used to be years ago. Heaven's going to be so boring if we're going to sit there and Moses is going to sit there with the Bible and preach all eternity long. Heaven's going to be so boring. And yet, one of the things that I see in this is that 
they see God, not just hearing a truth about Him, they see and experience in fullness who He is. His full creative capacity. His full glory and full display. Beauty like you have never seen. You stand in front of the ocean sometimes and go, wow. You stand in front of the Grand Canyon and go, who did this? You're going to stand and look at the one who made all of that. And all that does is display His beauty in a cursed image. Alright? Here you get to see Him face to face, which is what we're going to read if we get to it in a minute. Face to face you get to see Him. And you get to experience Him in such a way that you as His servants worship Him. You know why you worship Him? Because you've never seen anything like this. You don't have to muster up worship. You don't have to try to come up with a song to sing. You don't have to try to wait and listen to some kind of truth. I don't believe there's going to be any preaching in heaven. None. You know why? Because we will see Him as He is. You won't need me to reveal some truth to you about God so that you can in turn have the capacity in your heart to worship Him. You will see Him as He is. And you will have no choice but for worship to rise up in you and to worship Him and to serve Him. And then keep going with me in verse 4. Here's why. Here's why you worship Him. Because they will see what? (laughs) So I don't think I'm misinterpreting that at all. They will see... You know, let me me ask a question, and we've talked about this so many times, but when Moses said, God, show me your glory. God said, you can't, I can't. And you, you can't, it'll, it'll kill you. It will consume you. It will burn you alive. And he said, but I'll tell you what I do. I'll hide you in the cleft of the rock, and then I will let my glory pass by you, and I will show you just the, the tail of the garment, just the hind part. And just that alone was enough to radiate Moses' face. The point that I'm making is just simply that we will have bodies and we will have the capacity within ourselves to see the fullness of God's glory, not just His hind parts, but His face. His face. And that is why He says you are going to worship Him. That is why nothing accursed will ever be in this place because you're going to see His face. And not only that, but His name will be on their foreheads. Have you ever... um got to quit. Have you, ever, have you ever questioned in your life, God, do I really even belong to you? <laughs> Come on. I mean, God, am I really your child? Because I sure don't feel like it. I should be your child. Here's the thing. In this right here, and I could take you back to early parts of Revelation, but one of the rewards for those that overcome by faith, he says, I put my name on their foreheads. And ultimately, there will be no question about who you belong to. There will be no question about whether or not you belong here or not. You know, I can remember when I first got my job, um, I work at the water plant up here, and I I love what I do. Um, But I came from working hard in factories. I'm talking about I always had, for some reason, they always put me on the most difficult jobs they ever had. But um, when I, (laughs) you worked with me, didn't you? Yep. And I went to my job that I've got now. And the first night, now, I'm not telling you that there aren't nights that we work. There are nights when it's raining and we got to get chemical dosages right. That's right. We, We work. But for the most part, I can pretty well get things said in my job and I can kick back and I can study my Bible. I can counsel marriages. I can have pastor search committee meetings. I can, I can do whatever I need to do. But I remember the first night that I ever worked by myself at that place. I got the plant going and I sit down in the recliner and I turned the TV on and I said, I cannot believe that this is my job. I cannot believe that this is what I do. They pay me to do this. This is mine. 
I belong here. I work here. I am an employee of this place. Now that's just a very small capacity of what I'm talking about whenever we are in heaven and the name of God is on our foreheads and we have no question and no, no doubt that I belong here. This is my house. This is a place where I belong. I, this is where my father lives and where my family lives and this is where I will get to spend eternity. I cannot believe that me, who I was and where I come from, that this is mine. Y'all tracking with me? <laughs> and I can't believe that whenever I read that, that when he puts his name on our foreheads, I really believe that that's just a confirmation to people like you and me that, yeah, you don't belong here, but you are. And now you do belong here. And this is yours. So, anyway. All right, any questions or comments? You ready for me to quit, E? That's right. It identifies that you belong to Him. That's right. Yep. And then I love, we'll pick up on this next week, but look at verse 6. I love what the angel has to say to John. Because you think about it, after John sees all this and he hears all this, you're probably thinking, man, this just sounds too good to be true, right? And then look at what the angel said to John in verse 6. And he said to me, these words are what? <laughs> we'll get into that next week. These words are trustworthy. What does it mean for something to be trustworthy? You can count on it. And what does it mean for something to be true? There ain't nothing, there ain't nothing false in it. You can't deny it. You can take it to the bank. These words are trustworthy and they are true. And that is the reward of the bride. All right. Any questions tonight? Well, thank you all so much for your time and your attention. We'll pick back up next week and see if we can get two or three more verses. And we'll, we'll eventually get to the end. I love you, buddy. <laughs>